So this morning we come to our third edition of Acts Alive, our sermon series from the book of Acts, having a look at what uh, the early church experienced then and how it can help us live well for Jesus today. I'd like to read this story to begin. So there is a story from long ago of obedient Christians who packed up their worldly belongings into a pine casket and sailed the oceans to distant lands. Before its ultimate use, the constantly visible coffin served as a daily seal of the missionaries' commitment to take Jesus' cross among the poor and the lost. Before their ships would sail, these Christian servants would scribble with pen and tears a letter to try and explain to their family and their loved ones their compulsion to leave everything and to go serve Jesus among the lost and the hurting, those that did not know him. Corin Watson was a 38-year-old lady who went to Iraq to serve Jesus. She went to go and care and provide aid and, and uh, tell people about Jesus. She went as a missionary. And on the 15th of March 2004, she was killed in Iraq for telling people about Jesus. Her bold service to the Lord ended in her death at 38 years old. At a funeral, Corin's last letter, just like those missionaries, her last letter was read by her pastor. It says this, Dear Pastor, You should be opening this letter only in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I try to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. I thank you all so much for your prayers and your support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing into my life and my spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. In her letter she says this, she says, The missionary heart cares more than some think is wise, risks more than some think is safe, dreams more than some think is practical, expects more than some think is possible. I was not called to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you, my church and my family, Karen. Now you'll remember as we're looking at this book of Acts, it was written by Luke who writes to a friend after investigating the work of Jesus to uh, give his friend some security in his faith. Luke writes the book of the, the Gospel of Luke, which speaks of the work that Jesus began to do and how he involved his disciples in helping him do that. And then Acts, his second book, speaks of the work that Jesus continues to do and which he entrusts to those disciples once they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as we read the book of Acts, I want you to, to think of an inverted V or, or perhaps the, the greater than sign. And as we go, we, from the beginning to the end, we start small and go big. Not like an arrow that focuses on a narrowing point. But the book of Acts starts at a narrow point and ends up to every nation of the world. We've said that the key verse in, in, in Acts is chapter 1 and verse 8, 
where Jesus said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's the, 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 the key of the, of the book, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, but not just for our own selves, but to serve Him as witnesses. That verse actually gives us a beautiful uh, roadmap as well, as I said a couple of weeks ago, on how to read this book. Acts chapter 1 to 7 focuses on what happens in Jerusalem. Very Jewish, very monocultural. Acts chapter 8 to 12 is the middle section. It, it focuses on the gospel beginning to go to, Ju- to Judea and Samaria. Remember, Judea was the province that Jerusalem was in. Samaria was the province next door. Different language, different culture, quite a lot of tensions, and the gospel unites them. And then we see chapters 13 to 28. We see the shift happening where the gospel begins to go everywhere to to the ends of the earth. It begins in chapter 13 where God says, Set apart for me these men that I've called. And we see the sending and the spreading of the gospel. But later in in this section, we also see the price for the purpose of the gospel. And uh, there is a call on our lives to serve Jesus. And sometimes it won't be easy. But the glorious goal of getting people to know Jesus makes it so worth it. So we began in chapter 1 where Jesus said, Wait uh, for the Holy Spirit. And we spoke about what that looked like. We spoke about the signs of life that accompany the Holy Spirit. Wawa spoke so beautifully last week about Pentecost, chapter 2, and the plan of God. And I remind you again that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can have His indwelling and His empowering every day. I also want to say that that's not just for our own consumption, but it's to empower us to serve God and to serve others. We see that immediately after Pentecost, there's a change in the way Christians live. There's evidence. They, they meet together. They fellowship together daily. They devote themselves to the Scriptures. They break bread together. There's signs of life after the Holy Spirit uh, empowers them. Then in Acts Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and the first healing after Jesus' ministry. A crippled man who's been crippled for nearly 40 years is, is healed. And the crowds gather and Peter preaches another amazing message. In chapter 4, we see that so offends the, the religious leaders of the day that they arrest Peter and, 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 and uh, take him to the Sanhedrin where he is tried before the Jewish court. And so right early on, we see that preaching uh, gives way to power, but persecution is very close after that. And the beautiful thing is that this young church embraces persecution with joy. They respond in prayer, not in disappointment or doubt. They, they uh, feel it's a privilege to serve Jesus this way. And so there's been a challenge from without in, in, in chapter 4, which they uh, resist so well. But in cha- chapter 5, we see for the first time there's a challenge within the church. The Jerusalem population at this time was probably about 100,000 people. And the church population was about 10,000, 10% of the city, born again, participating in the life of God. And there's this new life that happens and people sell their possessions and they pool their their resources. They give them money so that no one would have a lack. But then Ananias and Sapphira come along and they sell a, a field and they take the money and they say they give it all 
but actually they hold some back. Now it's interesting, they could have given any amount that they wanted to, but they chose to say 100%, but they chose to do something else. And it's like Jesus is so jealous over this early church that when hypocrisy rises its head, it's judged and Ananias and Sapphira die. And then in chapter 6, we see this leads to more persecution and, and the church continues to grow and more leaders are needed to care for the people. We see the first tensions in the local church. And uh, centuries before, uh, Jewish people had been scattered all over the empire. And we see that some had grown up in Greek-speaking regions, some had grown up in other areas. And so what is what, what the Bible calls the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, who were racially Jewish but culturally Greek, spoke uh, Greek as well. They'd come into Jerusalem and the Hebraic Jews, the Jews that had stayed in Jerusalem and spoke Hebrew, had a Hebrew culture begin to clash around the provision of food for the widows. And it's so interesting because the apostles could have stopped everything. They could have said, wait, we need to settle in and we need to make sure everything is orderly and well cared for. They could have switched to management mode. And instead, they go to God and they come back and the first new tier of leadership uh, is brought into the church. The preachers, the apostles say, no, we must continue to preach and give ourselves to prayer. And so they bring these deacons to look after the practical matters in the local church. Now here at Grace Cove, we're doing the same thing. We're getting ourselves ready, even in lockdown, to bring on to our team some deacons and we're trusting for some elders as well. But I want to talk to you this morning. You see, maybe today's your day, my friend, that you want to put your hand up and say, I want to serve Jesus in a place of more responsibility. I want to commit and make my gifts and my time and efforts, my ownership of Grace Cove more available. Maybe over the next while, God is calling you to buy in in a greater way. And then we get to Acts chapter to chapter 6 and we come now to the final part of this Jerusalem uh, stage of the book of Acts and I want to focus on Stephen this morning. Stephen's such a great character in the book and, and, and he's a watershed moment. Something changes when, when Stephen begins to minister. So we talk about Stephen, a sacrificed life. Note, note the words, forgive me for the English, it's past tense. It's not a sacrificial ongoing life. It's a life that has been sacrificed, offered to God. Let's read in Acts chapter 6 verse 8. It says this, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue. In verse 10 it says, But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Verse 11, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. Do you remember my opening story, the account of those missionaries who put their belongings in a coffin knowing that before its ultimate use, every day they had surrendered their life to Jesus? Well, Stephen is exactly the same. Do you know that Stephen is the first name mentioned beyond the apostles of anyone doing ministry, of anyone preaching or healing? We know that he was a Greek Jew. He'd grown up studying the Old Testament, but culturally he was Greek. We're told that he comes to Jerusalem and he is saved early on in Acts, possibly even at Pentecost. 
which then by Acts chapter 5 and 6 would have been only about nine weeks later. Chapter 7 records the longest sermon in the New Testament, uh, Stephen's sermon. Something changed in chapter 6. And as Stephen gives his life to serving Jesus 100%, everything changes. Paul is so impacted, the Bible says that he is watching as the stoning happens. Paul is so impacted by Stephen's preaching that it changes his life. Later he is able to recall the whole sermon when, when Luke is writing down his book as he dictates the book as he dictates portions of the book of Acts. Stephen's life and message informs Paul's ministry. And in Stephen's death we see the first Christian martyr. Uh, in in the New Testament. He was killed in AD 36, just three years after Jesus was on earth. Do you know that, that James was the first apostle martyred and that was in 44 AD. Eight years, ago, eight years later, Stephen blazes a trail because he is totally sacrificed to living for Jesus. And so firstly, I want to say that, that uh, Stephen is just like Jesus. We see he's a top of Christ. Let's read in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed to him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, the sacrificed life is such a challenge to me. The first thing I want to say is that he's just like Jesus. The, the Bible scholars uh, use this language. They say Stephen is a type of Christ. Now that word type just simply means an example of a person showing similarities to Jesus in actions or experiences. In other, word, in other words, someone that portrays an accurate example of Jesus. And so Stephen is just like Jesus. In chapter 6 verse 8 it says he is full of grace and power. In Acts chapter 6 verse 10 it says he spoke with authority and wisdom. 6.13 says they had to provide false witnesses to prove his guilt. Acts chapter 7 verse 55 he was full of the Holy Spirit in power and purpose. We read it together. He looks to heaven as he is about to die. And in chapter 7 verse 59 he commits his spirit to the Father. And then finally in Acts chapter 7 verse 60, it says he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And just like when Jesus died, life came. So through Stephen's life, life blossoms. Paul is witness to, becomes born again uh, a little later in chapter 9. And we see the gospel takes on more power. I'm sure you would have re recognized some of these as the same thing spoken of Jesus. You know, when you live a sacrificed life, when people look at you, they'll see an example of Jesus. And possibly Stephen's greatest uh, strength was that his life so closely mirrored Jesus' life. When we are, we are most like Jesus, 
when we are most sacrificial. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The second thing about Stephen is that he was all in. There's this amazing juxtaposition, comparison between chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira saying one thing but doing another in the shadows of their heart compared to Acts chapter 7 where Stephen says something and he backs it up with his life. We go from from being partially uh, holding back from the Lord to being all in. Stephen was all in. He held nothing back. You know, he could have softened his message. He could have uh, uh, quietened down and maybe he would have just been punished and let go. When they arrested him, he could have said, oh, I'm very sorry. Actually, you're right. Can, and, and perhaps he would have saved his life. But God would not have, he would not have served God the way he had been called to do so. He was willing to offer what Jesus asked of him. When I think of being all in, I'm always reminded of of Abraham and Isaac right back in Genesis chapter 22. Now God had promised Abraham that he would have a multitude of descendants and they would fill the earth. And then Abraham only has one son. And in Acts chapter 2 verse uh, 22, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. So here God not only uh, asks Abraham to sacrifice his loved son, but he also is asking Abraham to sacrifice his future, the promise of God. And we see Isaac somehow has the faith in his father to follow along. And the Bible says, he looks around, he says, we've, we've got fire and we've got wood but where's the lamb and Abraham says God will provide and now we have this young man Isaac who watches his father build the altar watches his father put the wood on top allows him his father to tie him up to put him on the altar and raise the knife when God says stop provides the lamb and God says to Abraham in verse 12 he says now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son How about you? Are you like Abraham that God is asking you to put something on the altar? God is saying, will you put me first? Will you live a sacrificed life? Or perhaps like Isaac, you need to be courageous enough to entrust your life to the hands of your heavenly father. It might look dire. It might look as though things are terrible. But will you trust Jesus this morning? Will you put your life in the hands of God and trust Him? Because from that moment, when we are all in, the life of God flows and the purposes of God are accomplished. And through Abraham and Isaac, God gives the multitude, the nation of Israel, which then, as we read in Acts, impacts the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third thing to say about Stephen is that he chooses to take up his cross. It's not forced upon him. He's not squeezed into a corner. He chooses knowingly to take up his cross. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, it says this. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. 
Jesus said these words to the disciples that would follow him. And isn't Stephen such an amazing example of this passage? But this morning I'm asking, how about you? Jesus said to take up your cross. You see, because personal action is required. No one can take up your cross for you. Forgive me to confess that uh, I was in high school in the 80s and I know about shoulder pads and and tie-dye and all sorts of crazy uh, uh, fashion statements. But I remember uh, uh, one of the young guys at youth, instead of wearing a cross around his neck as to show that he was a Christian, one day he came to a meeting uh, um, <laughs> with a gallows around his neck, you know, that scaffolding with the, with the rope hanging down, and it was such a, a shocking image. But it's really strange that Christians wear the means of Jesus' death around our necks, isn't it? But the point is this, that no one can take up your cross for you. Personal action is required. And it's not just a once-off event. It's a embracing a new way of living. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We see Stephen as this amazing example of someone, someone willing to take up his cross. The next thing that Jesus said is, When do we take up our cross? He said, We must do it daily. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he told them to pray for their daily bread. And taking up our cross is not just a once-off event. It's a daily recommitment, a renewing of our purpose to follow Jesus in a sacrificed way. Jesus, I'm all in. I'm not turning back. I remind myself that this morning. Just like that casket, that coffin on the boat, that every time they went to to get a belonging or maybe change of clothes, they were reminded by the fact they were all in, they'd given their lives to serving Jesus. Sometimes I think the reason we need to make a daily commitment to Jesus is because if we knew the whole journey, it might be overwhelming, but He takes us day by day. Just for today, follow me. Will you do that? Take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus says. Now, if we're following someone, and I speak to the men particularly, this is the challenge, isn't it? If we're to follow somebody, it means that you and I don't get to choose the route. When Colette and I came from KZN to Gauteng, and even more specifically to Centurion, it was so funny. Every time you mentioned going somewhere, a new destination, the next thing everyone argues around which directions to take. Men, you always think your way is better. You'll avoid the traffic. You'll get there quicker. But here's the deal. If we are to follow Jesus, it means that you and I don't get to choose the route ourselves. You know, sometimes when you're in the mall and you bump into the same person once or twice or maybe three times, uh, you often think to say, hey, are you following me? I want to say that's not following. You see, if we're to follow Jesus, it means we need to keep close enough to Jesus to keep track and not lose him in the crowd. We need to keep close to Jesus. Remember Psalm 23 says if we follow him, we'll, he'll take us through the green passes, but he'll take us through the dark valleys as well to the other side. It means we don't get to argue about the directions. We follow Jesus. Maybe this morning you're feeling far from God. And I want to say that to you this morning, it's not because God has moved. But maybe you and I have just got a little out of step. Our following has become distant and we feel as though he's not there. This morning, will you buy in? Like Stephen, will you follow Jesus? Hmm. Take up your cross. Daily, follow me, Jesus said. 
You know, there's so many things that we can follow, aren't there? We can follow trains, we can follow ideas, we can follow people on Facebook. <laughs> I wonder how many followers you have. I was listening to Dave Ramsey's podcast, the guy that does Financial Peace University. And this lady phones in and she says, oh, I'm so grateful to, to learning all from you. We, we've listened to your program, but we're kind of doing it our own way. And Dave Ramsey has seven steps that you follow in order. And millions and millions of people have gotten out of debt and become financially secure by following those steps exactly. And this lady says, no, but we, we've kind of moved them around to, sort, to suit our own preferences. Then she says, but now we're coming to make quite a big financial decision. And so I wanted to phone in to get your advice. What do you think we should do? <laughs> Dave Ramsey laughs and he says, well, you can do whatever you want to do. Because up until now, you're doing it your way. You're not following what I'm saying. You're doing what you think. But now you want to ask me. So you might as well just do what you want to do because you're doing that anyway. And isn't, it, isn't that true that that's sometimes the way we serve Jesus? We say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. I want to follow you. But let me do it my way. I'll do it my way. I won't do it your way. I won't do it the way the Bible says. And we wonder why there's no power. We wonder why the Holy Spirit seems so far from us. We wonder why we feel as though God is not with us. If you're going to do it your way, you might as well do it your way. But this morning, Stephen is this, man, I tell you, I can't shirk him. He, he, he haunts me. He's this man who put it all on the line for Jesus. And I wonder if this morning you would do the same. Can I ask you, in June 2020, in the middle of corona crisis and lockdown, will you decide to follow Jesus? Like Stephen, will you commit to follow Jesus wherever he'll lead you? Will you commit, like Stephen, to live a sacrificed life? I mean, just think about this. If Jesus, through the life and death of just one man could change the whole world, what could he do with you and me if we respond the same way? I've had this song ringing in my head the whole week. It says, you provide the fire, I'll provide the sacrifice. You provide the spirit, and I will open up inside. Fill me up, God. Fill me up, God. And many of us want the filling, but we don't want the sacrifice. Man, I hope this is coming across, but this morning, I don't mean to boss you, but I want to stir you and I want to challenge you. Would you, like me, <laughs> choose to take on Stephen, an example of a sacrificed life? Would we follow that example? Would you be willing to put your life on the line? I think some of you need to surrender to Jesus for the very first time this morning. You need to become born again. I think some of you will surrender to his call today. You know he has had work for you to do. You know there's a call on your life. In years to come, you might look back to lockdown, church at home, and say, that day in June, I chose the path. It may be to a different country. It may be to plant a church. It may be to build a bridge and reach your neighbor. It may be to be a blessing to your family. I believe that God calls us each to specifics. And if you and I will sacrificially yield to him, our lives will change and the people around us will become different. I've read Corin Watson's story so many times in the last few days. I've struggled to read it without crying. 
she went knowingly to another nation to tell people about Jesus. She put her life on the line. She said, His glory, my reward. I wonder if you would do the same. Commit to following Jesus like Stephen. In Jesus' name. Amen.